Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 65, verses 1 through 13. I have been trying over the past few weeks during our Read Scripture plan uh, to select our Old Testament reading from something that we're reading that week uh, in the plan. So as, as we're going, these will kind of reinforce. This one I had to go just a little bit onto next week because it, I just couldn't help it. It fits too nicely. So this is Psalm 65 for the director of music, a psalm of David, a song. And before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself to us, that you've not left us guessing as to who you are, what you're like, but that you have revealed yourself through creation, that you have revealed yourself in um, Scripture, and that you have revealed yourself uh, in the person of Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be attentive to the ways that you have revealed yourself, that we would know better who you are, that we would know better who we are, that we would know better how to relate to you and to the world that you have placed us in. Lord, we ask uh, that this morning you'd help us to listen. You would give us ears to hear. You would give us minds to think. You give us eyes to see. You give us hearts that are ready to be changed by your word, by your spirit, into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 65. Praise awaits you, our God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God, our Savior, the hope of all the earth, of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, You call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Turning then to our New Testament lesson, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. It should be found on page 1613 in your pew Bibles. This begins with the words, after this. You have to ask, after what? This is after Jesus has just let the disciples know that there is a cost to following him, that it will not, um, the life of following him will not be the same life that they had before following him. You can read through those as well. But then picking up in chapter 10, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, we have been looking at the book of Acts for quite some time. We have been kind of marching steadily through uh, this book. And we have seen time and again uh, God surprising people by doing exactly what he told them he was going to do. Which should strike us as a little odd. That when God does exactly what he says he's going to do, people are constantly surprised by that as though he doesn't have a good track record. But this is what he does. And so uh, last week, we had looked at Peter being criticized because he had gone to some Gentiles, non, uh, non-Jewish people, and had explained about Jesus to them. They had received it, and they had been baptized and welcomed in, and he had faced some criticism, and we saw how he dealt with that. Well, now we have something very similar in uh, people talking to non-Jews about Jesus. And we're going to see, but it's different people that are doing this, and they're doing it in a different place. And it's not because, you know, the last time it was Peter had a vision, God had shown him, this is what we're going to do, and then he went and did it. This time it's something else. But it's the same thing that Jesus had said. This is what you're going to do. We're going to go to all the world, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. So we're in Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19 and going through the end of the chapter. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Okay, stop. This takes us all the way back to Acts chapter 6, 7, there, where Stephen uh, has been called out because he is one of these people that follows Jesus, and that can't be tolerated. And we've been reading in Deuteronomy recently about how if anyone, no matter how close they are to you, tries to get you to worship someone besides the one true God, you have to stone them to death. Whoa, that's pretty harsh. That's been one of my favorite parts, by the way, of reading uh, the Old Testament law out loud in my family. (laughs) As we go through it, one of the things I've been doing is I will say, if this happens, and then I let them guess what the penalty is going to be, it, it is really fun. You should play this game. <laughs> because sometimes you're like, oh, they would you know, tell them to stop it. And it's like, no, you kill them. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> and then there are other times where it's like, oh, definitely they're going to be killed. And it's like, no, you welcome them back. And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> anyway, I definitely recommend playing that game. It makes the Old Testament law <laughs> much more interesting. <laughs> 
Anyway, so this is one of those things, though, where it was death by stoning is what happens if anyone tries to get you to worship someone besides the one true and living God. And so that is why when you have Stephen saying, hey, Jesus, and they're like, no, not Jesus, and so they're killing him. That's what that was about. Well, then you have, uh, at that time, this whole persecution breaks out. They're like, we got to stop all these people who are worshiping this Jesus guy. And so they start coming after everyone who's worshiping Jesus. And so the disciples, those uh, people who are following Jesus, flee Jerusalem. And they start scattering all over the area. And one of the things that we have seen throughout the book of Acts is this is kind of what starts that spread throughout the whole world instead of just Jerusalem. And so they are going from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And everywhere they go, and this is one of the things I think is just so fascinating about it, is they are leaving Jerusalem because people there are trying to kill them for talking about Jesus. And so they go somewhere else, and they keep talking about Jesus. They don't change who they are or what they're about and what they talk about and how they live just because, uh, you know, some people over there don't like it. They keep going. And so here we have those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. These, if you are not familiar with your uh, kind of Middle Eastern geography and Mediterranean, uh, we have Cyprus, little island out there in the Mediterranean. Uh, Phoenicia is the coastal region. And Antioch, now we're getting farther north of kind of Israel proper. Now we're up into Turkey. And so we've gone that far, but that's kind of an important city there in Turkey, uh, near the coast, though not on the coast. And, uh, and as they go, they are spreading the word. Spreading the word about Jesus. And who are they spreading it to? The Jewish people. That's who they're talking to. But, verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Cyrene, by the way, all the way over like in Libya, Africa, so maybe instead of going home, they're like, yeah, we're just going to Antioch. So some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. This is a big deal. So far, what we've been seeing for everything, except for Peter, everybody else has been going and telling about Jesus to the Jewish people. They are the ones who have the whole Old Testament that has been pointing to Jesus. Therefore, it makes sense that this is what God is doing with the Jewish people. And then Peter has this vision that says, no, it's for everyone. That's what the whole thing's always been about. It's for everyone. And so Peter goes and he talks to a Roman centurion of all people. Now we have some other guys, some guys just from Cyprus and Cyrene. We don't even have their names, just some people. And they go to Antioch and they begin to speak to the Greeks, not the Jews, the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is the other thing that we have seen consistently through this book, is that as they go and they're doing the things that, uh, that Jesus said to do, we also have that promise that he made, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so as they are going and they're telling people this good news about Jesus, where is Jesus? He's with them. He's right there with them. And so why is it that uh, a great number of people are believing and turning to him? Because this is the power of the Holy Spirit at work through these guys. It's not just they have a bright idea. Okay, that all sounds great. We read this part and we say, hallelujah, praise God. They're going out, they're telling people about Jesus, people responding, it's wonderful. Verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. Oh, no. 
Oh, no. Here it's going to turn bad again. But to the credit, this news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. This is a huge move. If you know who Barnabas is, you'll understand that this sending of Barnabas is a big deal. This is one of those times where they could have sent other people to kind of squash what's going on, tell them to knock it off. Barnabas, though, we've seen him show up, you know, here and there throughout the book of Acts. And uh, one time he shows up and he's uh, selling a whole field and giving everything uh, to the church because, hey, you guys might need this. And then, uh, and it says his name, Barnabas actually just means son of encouragement. That's the kind of guy he is. The next time we see him is in the book, or in the book of Acts, is in chapter 9. And this is after Saul, who has been killing people, you know, like Stephen, uh, for following Jesus. And then he actually meets Jesus, and his whole world has changed. And so he comes to the church in Jerusalem And it says in verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. So Barnabas is this guy who, when nobody else is is willing to see what's happening, Barnabas is the guy who kind of put his own neck on the line and will say, look, this is what God's doing here. He sees it, and he's encouraging along the way. So when the church sends Barnabas, he's not the guy you send to crush what's going on. He's the guy that you send when you say, God might be doing something. And we think you're the guy who would be able to tell. And if he is, and if he is doing something there, we want you to help it (laughs) keep going and encourage the people there. So the church in Jerusalem, when they hear about this people being uh, Greeks coming to Jesus, they send Barnabas. And when he arrived, he saw and saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. That's what he does, the encourager. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. We're going further. We do have to touch on that a little bit. Who were the disciples? Because a lot of times in our head, we talk about Jesus and his 12 disciples, right? And so when you start talking about disciples throughout the book of Acts, if you're not clear on this, you might think we're talking about those 12 people. And in the book of Acts, that's almost never the case. We're talking about all the people who are following Jesus. In fact, uh, we really didn't have the word Christian yet to refer to people as Christians. They were just disciples. They were the ones who uh, had decided to follow Jesus as their rabbi, as their teacher, the one that they wanted to learn from, the one that they wanted to become like. Those were the disciples. And there were 12 of those, 12 out of all the disciples. (laughs) There were 12 that Jesus set apart as uh, kind of, his closest group, and 12 that he then sent out as apostles, which just means the sent ones. And so he sent them out on special uh, mission in some way. But that's not who we're talking about here. When it says here, the disciples were called Christians, saying those people who were following Jesus, 
the Jewish people who are following Jesus, the Greek people who are following Jesus, everybody who's following Jesus, they started calling them all Christians. That's where this happens. And that just means that these are the ones <laughs> who are like Jesus, who are like Christ, who believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that's the reason they're following him. Not intended originally as a compliment, by the way. But they did take on the name for themselves later. Moving on. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Um, pause one second. In our minds, when we say somebody went down from here to here, we usually mean they went from north to south, right? Yeah, this time they're going from south to north. <laughs> quite a ways, actually. So why does it say they went down from Jerusalem to Antioch? Biblically speaking, Jerusalem's about as high as you can get. <laughs> Jerusalem is where you come to approach God, and so and it is kind of up on a hill. Um, so it's always talked about as you're going up to Jerusalem or you're going down from Jerusalem, no matter what geographic direction you're heading. Anyway, we tend to miss that one. All right, so during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Right, and this is the part that I really want us to uh, think about today, especially in light of the season of Thanksgiving. Is what happens in this last paragraph which comes directly on the heels of all the rest of it. And it actually, the rest of it had to come first in order for this to happen. But I want you to see what's happening here. We have somebody who's coming and who's predicting that there's going to be a famine. That there's going to be a famine that's spreading through this, this whole world, uh, this whole Roman world. And then it says, of course, in parentheses, this happened, by the way, <laughs> this happened during the reign of Claudius. So anybody, Luke is a historian, he kind of, always sure to cite his sources and document everything. And so whenever he says that there was somebody who predicted this, that is, again, one of those things you see in the Old Testament. If there's a prophet who says, this is going to happen, and it doesn't happen, you may have any idea what you're supposed to do with him? Hey, yeah, you kill him again. That's another one of those. You're supposed to kill them because, <laughs> because that is somebody who is a false prophet. They are saying things and speaking for God, except that they are not speaking for God. They are speaking their own stuff and claiming it is uh, from God. And so they said, you know, the way you can tell is if they say this is going to happen and it happens, hey, that's from God. If it's going to happen and doesn't happen, yeah, we're not going to listen to them anymore and we'll make sure of that. Okay, um, so this is one of the ways that Luke points out not only uh, did it happen, but that confirms that this prophet who is speaking is actually speaking through the Holy Spirit of the one true and living God, that he is a true prophet. Uh, prophet in that sense. But then it's the response. It's the response where I really want us to uh, drill this home. They hear that there's going to be a famine. And they don't freak out. They don't start panicking. What are we going to do? They don't try to, you know, figure out a way to avert the famine. And it says, so the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. 
the divide between Jews and Greeks is not over. And in fact, there's, we'll see that a lot of that still be played out through the rest of the book of Acts. But right here, we have Jewish followers of Jesus, Greek followers of Jesus, who have been trained now by Saul and by Barnabas for a whole year in who this Jesus is, what he's done for us, and the ways in which he has blessed our lives, and therefore the way that we are to be a blessing to others. And this has been so deeply ingrained in, in who they are and who they understand themselves to be as a part of this family, that now when they hear that there's going to be something coming that's going to provide hardship for others, they say, well, how can we help? We want to help meet that need. We want to help make sure that they have enough to eat when there's not going to be food available. That this is sort of the knee-jerk reaction of the people who are following Jesus. Is not, how can I make sure I don't get hit by this? But what can we do to help those who are hit by it? So the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Okay. We don't need prophets to come and tell us that there's a famine coming in order for us to be aware that there are people in need around us, right? We don't need that. We know that there are people in need around us. A lot of times, all it takes is just opening our eyes to see where those needs are. And a lot of times, we don't even need to see it directly. We can just start thinking, hey, winter's coming. There are people who may not have coats. Hey, school's out for a week. There may be kids who get most of their food through the school. Hey, there's things that are coming up in just the regular calendar year, this season that we're in, where there are needs, and we know they're there. And the question is, how do we as Christians respond to those needs? Do we need a prophet to come and tell us? I don't think so. I don't think so. And that is our, uh, our challenge, though, for this week. We see in this that these people are responding this way because of who they understand they are in Jesus. Um, we have, <laughs> in verse 23, it said, when Barnabas arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. The encouragement was to remain true. To remain true to the Lord with all your heart. But that wasn't what brought them close to God. What brought them close to God was the grace of God. He was the one who did it. And now uh, Barnabas was just encouraging them. Stick with him. <laughs> Keep following him. Keep on in your relationship with him. But this is something the grace of God had done. On our bulletin this morning, we have sort of <laughs> the cotton ready for harvest. And we read from Matthew when Jesus says uh, that the... Is it Matthew? Yeah. It was Luke 10. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And there he's talking about the people who have been made ready to receive the good news. 
if only there are people to go out and share. We've seen this throughout the book of Acts, that God is working in people's lives, but then he also works through the people he's already working with to reach them, to help them, both in uh, receiving the message of good news, but also providing food for the hungry, etc. So the challenge this week, like I say, is to pay attention to who Jesus is, the grace that he has given you, and then to the needs that are around you and how, because of the grace he's given you, we're able to meet those needs uh, in love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.